Hello and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello, and welcome back to Seize the GM. You stole my, you stole my thing. We got to keep them on their toes. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, what are we talking about today? Oh, this has been a wild and crazy, crazy time, folks. It has. And if you've been following along for quite a while, you know that we've started something majorly different for Season 6. And that is spending all of Season 6 developing and building a single GMable world, doing a setting, build, and structure, and kind of putting everything that we've been talking about for years at this point, and even longer if you know us in real life, into practice. And so today, we're going to talk about world building and themes for this setting that we're working on. Oh, wait, didn't we talk about this like last week, too? We talked about our pitches. Last week was, was the beginning of season six. So yes, it's That's going right. to be, okay. <laughs> be a long season where we talk about what comes out of this brainstorming process. Right? So, okay, in that last episode... We did. We we all pitched a setting, and then we kind of came to the, this uh, conclusion that they kind of all actually had a place in the season setting that we did, which was kind of cool. I like that we found like bits and pieces that we could take from all of them and made something that was a piece of all of ours. So, well, and if you're wondering where our inimitable friend Jules is. She is unable to be with us this evening, but will be here for time immemorial as is the plan. Next points, at least, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure all of you can appreciate life can happen, and thankfully, there are more than one of us to do the podcast. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Here's what we've kind of crashed together from our three different concepts. Go back and listen to episode 147, if you have not already, to get a fuller explanation. We have a kind of arc ship that had to leave from its dock early ahead of a catastrophe. In doing so, it lacked all of the supplies it was going to need and was carrying the full gene lines for every creature left on the home world. The shielding on the ship, though, is one of the things that wasn't completed. Resources are needed to manage the potential mutations for crew and their descendants over the long run, as well as the normal repairs for the crew. And will whatever finds that new home be human, something we might recognize as human, or a whole new creatures once that journey is over? And where is that journey going to end? That is the question. Will it end? Will it not end? Who knows? But we have come up with some major themes that we want to go into with this setting. And this also kind of helps to direct the type and the way that we're going to look at a lot of the world world building that we're going to be doing. 
one big significant impact on the themes is that a Savage World engine encourages kind of a pulpy gameplay. And as a result, it's going to be more Buck Rogers than Space Above and Beyond from the mechanical system side of things. And we've talked a lot about how the mechanics of a system can drive GMing and world building choices. Go back, listen to the previous episodes where we go into more about that. And if you didn't know, now you do know that we're using Savage Worlds as the underlying skeleton around which the rest of this really neat concept is going to be building. Yeah. Yeah, we we had spent a bit of time kind of deciding um, amongst ourselves as for what system to use. Now, while this is going to be built with the Savage Worlds engine kind of underneath, I am also going to be working on doing a fate version of a lot of this as well. And that's just because I like fate. <laughs> so I'm going to be taking a lot of this and then trying to figure out how to mash it into fate, which should be interesting. Should be a lot of fun. And we'll go over that entire project towards the end of season six as we look yeah. at how that is implemented and also discuss changes and, and what it would mean for GMs in doing that. Well, and part of that is... If you are actually a Patreon supporter, that is going to be one of the things that I'm going to be talking about on there. And they will actually be getting kind of as I'm working on things for that, it's going to be showing up in our Patreon for those people who are backers of the show. But enough about all yeah. the inevitable social media pitches and where to find us and, and all of that jazz like Patreon uh, or the website where you can buy a coffee for Zen and, and keep all the lights running. That actually yeah. ties into one of the themes that we kind of need to explore because it is a post-apocalyptic science fiction setting as chosen by you, the listeners, with extra weighted votes for the patrons. So scarcity is one of the themes to look at. What do you do as you begin to run out of parts? The ship wasn't completed. It's not necessarily easy to manufacture new parts whole cloth. What trade-offs do you make? And what sort of ingenuity do you have, uh, or does the setting have, to kind of keep what you need going? Yeah. Yeah, that scarcity thing is going to become an issue. Once... Once you get out far enough and you're traveling between things, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there that you can just grab because that is one of the things. We're not using a faster-than-light traveling ship. This is something that is a generational arc ship. So you're talking about many, many generations to get from one star to the next, even with the closest ones. Well, and that can also be part of the world-building discussion coming up, because I have some possible ideas uh, to kind of help make this world a little more playable outside of the arc ship. Sure, sure. Now, we, we've kind of settled on three main themes that we want to kind of have in this setting, and one of them is scarcity. Another one is kind of this 
sense of desperation. You know, the ship is going to get to the new world, but will the people actually be okay? And will the those seeds of life that they brought with them still be viable? What would be needed? And are you willing to make those trade-offs and pay the price? Which desperation and scarcity kind of play well together. Because as things become more scarce, desperation rises. It's kind of that good tension between those two kind of themes. And then what was the last one that we were going to be diving into with this? Well, the other counterbalance really to desperation, I think, is exploration. As it's being built generally around a kind of pulpy system, and even fate itself lends uh, itself to you know active agency encouraging heroes and, and actors, you've got a sense of hope that you need to have uh, in a system that even in a post-apocalyptic setting with scarcity, with kind of that, those limited choices, you still are moving away from horror by having different environments on the ship, different biomes and parts of it, or other worlds that could be encountered. A, a kind of sense of wonder and what is over the literal or metaphorical hill is one way to keep things fresh and also to play into that idea of the larger generational ship looking for a new beginning and itself embodying that new beginning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely exploration is going to be... Uh, yeah, it, it does play well against those kind of darker, more... Um, it's not a horror game. You and Jules don't get to turn it into one. I'm not going to. I promise I'm not trying to do that. That's I'm going to try to make it less horror-y. That just sounded bad, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay. But those are kind of the three pillars of, of themes to work on. Making sure yeah. that characters are having to make hard choices because of scarcity. Making those hard choices that are going to impact, you know, potentially generations down the line, that desperation, but at the same time, still getting to raise their eyes to the sky or to the star field and have a sense of wonder. And so yeah. it's got those different components and how they're going to be mixed together is a big part, I think, of what we're going to talk about in the next however many episodes season six is, which we haven't told you yet. Yeah, exactly. I, it's going to get interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> so aside from our themes, we are going to be also starting to have on our world building and two kind of important things that we're going to need to settle on. One is going to be the technology level. Now, any sci-fi setting is going to have to have some type of technology level, whether it's, you know, whether you've got space gun, you know, like laser guns or, you know, 
faster than light travel or, you know, I mean, in this case, you can't really have like, you know, spears. I mean, you can use them, but you're going to be above like the spear level in technology. So you're, you know, we have to kind of settle on what is kind of an appropriate tech level for what we're trying to do here. Oh, and one of the things I want to kind of pitch is a slightly split tech level. As we're dealing with a situation where everything won't get repaired and there's the potential for declining technology, I like the idea, and it plays into the second part of the world building, that there may be some physics-breaking travel that can occur on the smaller a ship. An individual or small ship might be able to exceed some of what we recognize as current limitations on scientific movement because that's going to open up some real gameplay opportunities and world building that takes it out of just the entrapped arc area. Sure. That also gives you a high deal, a high stake in what few options you have for that travel. The scarcity comes into play. The desperation comes into play. It's a way to provide a certain level of guided control of agency for choosing where to go, unlike you know other games or settings or shows, stories where there's some super awesome, great kind of movement and transportation that just plain can't be matched and you have no control over it or are mostly yeah. fumbling in the dark. And those are great stories, but it's a different story. Yeah. It is definitely a different story. This this does if, if we give a smaller ship, or maybe even a couple of ships, the ability to do something that is you know pushing past those boundaries of traditional you know propulsed space travel to where they can jump through basically either wormholes or you know whatever that there might be a you know way to find maybe help with some of the scarcity here and there like you can you can use those things to play off of that and play into exploration the scarcity and right. desperation can drive that exploration and result in some of the larger world building pot potentially getting you know enmeshed in issues outside of the arc if there is an encounter with other civilizations if those even exist which we haven't decided yet you right. have the ability to well I, I i'm thinking 10 episodes down the line right now about things to bring up but yeah. the other big part i, I want to think about as far as technology goes is what does it look like because i i can make my just beyond a bit beyond cyberpunk if everything was working we'd be peachy and it would be a fantastic uh, future science looking kind of steampunky or kind of we'll call it roddenberry you know do i have a, a hallway of narrow corridors with creaking pipes and venting gases or a hallway with rounded corners and a, a bright stream of lights both of these can work, but I don't yeah. know what you see in your head. So 
I have kind of two ideas when it comes to this. And one is that a lot of the the drive portions of the ship, like the, all of the propulsion stuff should not be all pretty and clean. And I have, a, I think that that should be really kind of messy and not the place you want to normally spend much time because it, it isn't the perfectly, you know, controlled environment that, you always expect with space travel sorts of things. So I was thinking, God, I'm trying to think of the, because the only thing that I can think of would be like, not necessarily steampunk, but more like the naval ships where they're not always clean. Even, you know, like they're dirty and there's, you know, railings, you know, that are kind of rusty even, like just not the thing that you would. But even like the the crew areas and the family areas would still be a little dingy at this point because things are starting to decline. And we haven't talked about how long the ship's been launched, but it sounds kind of like you're describing a technology and feel similar to uh, the remake of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, that is a lot closer. I mean, those were definitely made to be, you know, military ships. You know, like the Galactica was a, was it, that's literally what it was. Yeah, that was a class right. designation for their ships. But that that kind of tech, you did kind of described that military industrial style. Messy. Yeah, and it is messy because, I mean, I've been on ships for a while. And yeah, they're not, I mean, yeah, they may look clean, but really they're not once you get underneath the skin. And you start actually like digging around, like they're pretty pretty grungy at times. I mean... So we're looking at something that takes modern tech and gives it a slight bit of uh, a tweak towards uh, constant wear. It could be that the constant use or energy requirements is something that just creates a continual kind of sense of stress. So more creaking, more uh, kind of potential fracturing. We've got opaque transmission of of energy kind of situations that uh, create a darker physical environment on the arc unless active choices are made otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see where things are like, if it doesn't detect, you know, life, like if the ship has an ability to like, you know, tell where all of the people are, like if it doesn't need to have, oxygen in a section it just kind of pulls it into the sections where there are people and like there are sections of the ship that are just void and that goes into another part of that scarcity and desperation theme that the ship itself the the hub of the campaign itself a huge arc ship forces desperation and scarcity 
And those decisions could be about a, a certain threshold of biome, detectable biome material in any particular region. And so you could be alive, but if you end up being the only person alive in the area scanned, it could all of a sudden start shutting things down. And it could be a situation where for some reason, ooh, I have a, I've got a campaign plot again. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah, yeah I, just, I just had an, an idea we're going to have to come back to on that one. Uh, okay. That, that gives us the ability to also explore within the ship itself, which is going to be large enough to be unknown and unmapped in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This episode has been sponsored by Tabletop.land. Not sure if you want to get into making all your own full terrain sets or scatter pieces. Mm. Not sure you want to get into that 3D printing thing that everybody's doing for your own stuff or maybe minis for that matter even. Well, there is a new web shop that is up and coming called Tabletop.land. Go check it out and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy. Or, given the time of year it is, maybe you could even pick up something for that GM of yours for Christmas. Now, this also kind of plays into um, the other kind of topic that we were going to discuss when it comes to the world building for this, and that is density. And what do you what do we mean by density here? What I was imagining when we were talking about this is the frequency with which an external kind of component comes into play. How often are new planets encountered? How often are new biomes encountered? What's the you know kind of frequency or density in which uh, of the world in which the players are are moving and acting? It would be easy in a kind of horror version of this to have very low density yeah where it may be the entire campaign involves (laughs) identifying getting to and evaluating a single biome or on the ship or planet yeah and the entirety of the whole bit is just focused on that you could also have a more lighthearted one where you've got a new biome or planet like every session and more like a Stargate style game where there is a end of the week. Well, and I was thinking either you do something like Stargate or even something like Star Trek, you know, where there was like constantly sliders is probably more where I would go, but Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Also because Jonathan Rice Davies is, yeah, but <laughs> I was that, thinking, honestly, kind of like per arc might work really well for this. That's also kind of what I was thinking. And part of my pitch for those smaller scale uh, ability to travel beyond kind of standard physics. Right. Is, like you could even you could even have it where like you lay a in one adventure like in the beginning of the arc where one of the ships has left and like midway back, you could all like midway through the arc, that ship could come back and be like, Oh my God, we found this thing. And like the next arc could be just built around that. You could just have it as a, a constant like jumping point. And characters going to find 
one of these potential worlds or moons or sets of resources they need gives you as a GM the ability to also remove them from their comf- comfortable environment. Yeah. You can put them in kind of some of those dissonant situations. If you've got a bunch of, you know, in a fantasy game, a bunch of, of noble courtiers who are adept at political maneuvering and the intrigue of court sending one a survival exploration adventure is is kind of good for their character building um yeah and fun and so something similar can happen here and it also kind of makes me want to make random tables because i'm old and of the age where random tables are <laughs> something that, can, that bring me joy in moderated well amounts. you know what and they they can help they can be jump off points for ideas and exactly. there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there is another thing that I was thinking about that we should consider with density is not just like planets and biomes, but the population of the arc ship itself. Oh no. Well, that's one, obviously, because you... I I honestly see that as very structured because the resources that were supposed to be on there, like there would be only so many children born, so many of the, you know, like it would be very tightly regulated. I think that is something that will be discussed in the next few episodes of setting factions, because I don't have quite a structured view of where it's likely to go. Okay. See, my other thought, though, with density was, are there other life forms out there? My vote's always yes. <laughs> right, because you could do some really cool things with that. And they don't have to be constant. Honestly, I think something like alien life forms, or non-human life forms, should be something that is, you know, are they going to be below where we're, you know, where the player characters are at? If this was a television show, I would say maybe two to three new encounters every season, not all of which are at the same level as you know, the protagonists, as the characters, uh, just to kind of give a, a, a ballpark. Because not every time you go off arc ship should you run into one. Right. Not every time you do that should it follow the same format. But... yeah. I think there should be some number of life forms. I think there should be potentially some kind of recurring ones that uh, are spread out in certain areas because then that creates kind of an ongoing tension Uh, and and world building that goes on to how the arc relates to different factions of those things. But it should be focused around the arc inhabitants themselves. Yeah, uh, and and that's that's why I've got that kind of moderated view, but I always think there should be in sci-fi because that is storytelling potential. Yeah, totally, and that is one of the cool things. Like you can definitely approach it from that way of just like, oh yeah, there definitely needs to be aliens because when you can have aliens, have aliens, and you also then can start asking interesting questions. With the insufficient shielding, 
and the gene lines kept on the ARC ship. The ability to cause mutations and deviations in the genome is going to be on the ship. And there could well be factions on the ship that have certain, gen let's say, recurring genetic modifications. Like, yeah. Let's say feline, canoid, other, other kinds of things that create a question of, is that different than an alien? And how? Right. And what does that mean societally? How factionalized does that really get? And that those are the kinds of stories that I think, including aliens in your, let's say, setting, uh, helps you explore. It does. It does. I like where we're going with this so far. Me too. And now I'm going to come up with a couple of aliens. <laughs> of course you will. Because that's what you do. I like world building. Top when down you... world building is my friend. <laughs> I keep That's texting true. you random maps of the fantasy world I'm working on. I know, and it's so fun. We should, we should. Um... I'm going to work on what we can do to kind of share some of that through the Patreon and, and kind of build out some of that in ways that are uh, more shareable than the homebrew okay. campaign work I've got because it is mired in the homebrew game. So I need to tweak some things that would then make it able to be not an issue with certain rights clearances. Uh, but sure. we have talked for a little bit of time, not a huge amount, but also I think more than uh, perhaps might have been conceived of originally. And yeah. I think it's a good time to go ahead and wrap this up, especially to get our notes to Jules and, and make sure she's on board and has everything in her mind for the next episode. Yes. But before we do that, what sort of recommendations do you have for all of our listeners out there? Okay. So if you know me, you know that I am not a board game person. I'm also not a card game person. But my wife purchased Let's Summon Demons. <laughs> so it is a game that is... The whole concept is, is you have to summon three demons and have a certain number of souls and... You roll dice, and when we got home from the game store after Free RPG Day, where I ran Cyberpunk Red Easy Mode, which was awesome, by the way, um, we played this game over two days. We played it probably 10 or 11 times. And every single time it was different. So... We 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 were just there this evening, and she was looking at picking up the uh, Don't Talk to Strangers game, as well as the Let's Dig for Treasure game, which is done by the same guys. And it is, it's it's ridiculous and fun, and I think the longest game we played took twenty minutes, maybe. So you can crank out, and if you do it, I, I won one game in under five minutes. So there's a lot of crazy kookiness with it. It is fun, 
and you should definitely check it out. I have a link in the show notes. But that's where you can buy it on Amazon. If you get your local game store to pick it up, definitely do that because it is fun and I think it's like 20 bucks or something. So it's it's one of those low-cost kind of games that's fun to play. So that's mine. What do you got? Well, I'm going to uh, recommend that you revisit or hunt down uh, the show Defiance. It was Sci-Fi Channel's show that was launched in conjunction with an MMORPG tie-in. It was a unique world without any connection to existing um, IP or ideas and was a great world building project across multiple platforms. It fits also a lot of themes for our world where we've got a combination of desperation and scarcity. We've got exploration. It's in a kind of you know science fiction, post-apocalyptic world. And I may be using this as inspiration as we look at things like aliens and scarcity and wonder and hope and, and all the kinds of fun that goes along with it. Uh, it is, I believe, available for purchase through Amazon Video. And that is generally the only place currently available, I think, if you don't have uh, access to previous iterations of it. It uh, ended before its time and is uh, ending on a cliffhanger. So if you watch it all and want to shake your fist at someone who got you worked up into a show that ended on a cliffhanger, find me on social media. (laughs) Yes. And I would like to say that this episode has been sponsored by tabletop.land it is one of the perfect places to go for go to when you are looking for something new something unique and something to enhance all of your geeky and tabletop hobbies and fun true uh, there is there are people that on there that are selling painting services for minis painted minis unpainted minis landscape scatter terrain i am also going to be with full disclosure here uh, trying to put a few of my handmade books that are kind of themed in that direction on there there's it's it's a pretty cool little it is a marketplace that is tailored specifically to the interests that people listening to this show have and you should go check them out yes indeed and maybe you'll find my books there and buy one <laughs> and buy something from everybody. Cause a lot of the people there are really cool and it's all like small home crafting people. So it definitely a, a thing that is cool and great fun. So until next time, have fun. Roll some dice. We will see you guys next Next time. time. (laughs) Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter. 
Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.